0: Hey, it's DM Jeremy. Tonight we're joined by Chris from Knights of Roleplay and Adventuring Podcast. Chris hosts us for a discussion of old school Dungeons and Dragons settings. If you want to learn more about Knights of Roleplay and Adventuring Podcast, check out their website, knightsofroleplay.com, and you can also download them on podbean.com, just like us. Without further ado, Old Men Rolling Dice. This is Old Men Rolling Dice.
1: Dice Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Buckner. I'm the primary dungeon master for Knights of Roleplay and Adventuring Podcast. And this episode is a special cross promotion with our friends uh, at Old Men Rolling Dice. They have their own live play Dungeons and Dragons podcast, although so they've they've switched format a little bit since COVID, but we'll we'll go into that a little more later. And, and we're primarily going to talk about some of our favorite campaign settings. And since we're all of the the middle age group, we're gonna be talking probably mostly about second edition kind of stuff, stuff from the 80s, get right into the discussion right now. So if you guys, um, we have Jeremy and Jason from Old Men Rolling Dice. If you guys just wanna talk a little bit about your podcast, I did listen to the episode about the, the 80s movies, which I thought was great. And I listened to one of your live plays, which I have some questions about. Um, <laughs> If you if you just want to talk a little bit about your podcast so that so that our listeners with nights of roleplay can be familiar with you guys then you know sure. feel free Jay do you want to take this
2: no you always started rolling and uh, I'll jump in I'll interrupt when I see it's appropriate
1: Inter-
0: yeah you interrupt me you interrupt me so uh, yeah so we're old men rolling dice. We started out as a live play podcast. That was certainly the plan. Uh, we started by playing Princes uh, of the Apocalypse, jammed that into a homebrew setting as opposed to the Forgotten Realms or something like that, just to have a little bit more freedom with it. And we did that for our first—I would say our first year. There's probably there's probably about twelve, twelve or thirteen episodes published, and there's probably another tw- half, maybe six or seven episodes sitting on my hard drive we really got tired of editing those up we we were not <laughs> recording them properly we had we had the wrong equipment and there was a lot of editing going into it and it was taking a lot of time and then then covid came along like you said and we did not meet for live plays anymore and we switched our live play stuff over to twitch and started streaming and jason and i started uh interviewing people
2: yeah we had been interested i think maybe in Covering a couple of different topics that weren't directly related to live play. And it was like, well, we, we're already here. And we're already working in the format. And Jeremy and I both work uh, shift work. So occasionally we're around on a Wednesday during the day and nobody else is here. It was really easy suddenly just to pour a cup of coffee and, and touch on a topic that maybe we were both interested in. And I think
0: it's generally not coffee though.
2: Uh, <laughs> there, i think it was coffee once i, I think, think one so cup of coffee i think so uh, but not just that i think it was one of those things where this has really been a great outlet and i think we've talked about this a lot i mean the pandemic 2020 even rolling into 2021 has been a rough time for a lot of people and yeah. i know i probably said this exact same point in a previous podcast it's easy to get caught up in all this sort of negative stuff that's happened And I think part of what we've been trying to do, especially lately with is trying sort of like, you know what, there's, there's gotta be some silver linings out there. There has to be something that sort of gets you from A to B these days, something that's gives you something to look forward to on the weekend. And so sort of trying to throw these topics out and maybe even we've become really interested in sort of community building, like realizing that an online community, a gaming community, a community of friends, and even sort of the community you live in is something that, maybe we're not contributing massively to it but it never hurts any little bit you can do to sort of build that up and uh and, and share you know kind of what you're doing with other people and hear about the things they're doing is something uh we're trying to sort of touch on these days
1: yeah it's, it's awesome i've been seeing like a lot of the sort of community support stuff i've looked at other podcasts when i first wanted to get into this one i started listening to all these D podcasts uh, like Dungeons and Daddies and uh, Adventure Maidens and Adventure Zone and all the different things. I, I was really excited about all of the support from all the community, everybody trying to build up all these cool ideas, and I was learning all these things that I didn't really know and sharing the passion of a game with everyone, and not just D&D, but lots of other tabletop games too, both role-playing and otherwise. So this is this is really this is fun. I like doing cross-promotions. I have did one with another podcast uh, very early on in our podcast history, and so then I saw you guys and I thought, I bet you these guys are right around my age and we probably have a lot in common, so we should definitely cross promote. Yeah, old men
0: rolling dice, the title kind of it sets it it paints a picture for people. I think uh there, we we are the ad like we are the old men ro- literally rolling dice. You know, I, I got my start with Red Box and every awesome. every edition yeah. since Jason, I think did you start in did you start in advance, A D and D? You started with 89. I Started
2: in eighty, really early. 80s, 80, say eighty-one, eighty-two. I've been trying to track it down.
0: My memory gets a little hazy sometimes.
1: Oh, um, that's cool though. You guys are a little advanced was... for me. I, I started in eighty-six.
0: Eighty-six? Okay, no, I started in eighty-four. I started in eighty-four. Yeah. I was gotcha. t- I was ten in eighty-four to to broadcast my ages. So there.
1: Jason's just really old. He,
0: he is. Understand. He is the old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is the old of old men rolling dice. <laughs>
2: But I gained sort of hard then, and then I took a, a very long casual you break, and just recently, sort of in the last couple years, getting back into it.
0: Because you um, didn't, you didn't play second, nice. third, or fourth, right? I think I
2: played
0: some three
2: point five with you guys a little bit, because I remember buying the books for it.
0: Maybe, but it might have been with You might be right. Um,
2: I, I missed second entirely. I missed fourth entirely.
0: You didn't um,
1: miss much. <laughs>
2: No. <laughs> no that seems really general thing did yet. you
1: play fourth chris um i did i did i mean and i liked it at, at first but then i grew to hate it very quickly you said that when covid came out you guys stopped doing the live play mm-hmm. now we we switched over to doing stuff on zoom and doing more theater of the mind although i tried using minis and a camera for a little while mm-hmm. but that got a little bit clunky so i we just went pure theater of the mind did you guys not want to go onto zoom when you guys when covid happened
0: there was some discussion to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, we just... And I got very excited about streaming. I'd been asked by a couple of people, do you guys stream a game? And so I really wanted to give it a shot. But not everybody that played in our podcast wanted to be live
1: on a stream. On camera. That's yeah, right. Same thing, with, same thing with my group, yeah. So so, I, so you guys are doing live streaming now with your... We're doing
0: buddies? live streaming now, but only myself and one two players myself and two players came with me gotcha. and then we found two other players so we we now have a party of four so we have, and so we stream on sunday nights we're doing secret, uh, ghost assault marsh and then we've started another stream on wednesday nights where we run Icewind Dale.
1: okay do you want do you want to give your
0: your, your twitch oh sure or... twitch twitch.tv uh slash dm underscore jeremy we did not go with Old Men Rolling Dice because at first I wasn't sure that it was an Old Men Rolling Dice project, and then <laughs> it started rolling along well, and I'm like, "Well, we're here now." So w- we use it as our Old Men Rolling Dice stream, but uh, but it doesn't have the Old Men Rolling Dice
1: tag. Okay. Okay.
0: I have some questions about your game though now too.
1: Yeah, sure, go for it.
0: So you guys run Spelljammer, and we're gonna yeah. talk. We're gonna talk about some old settings tonight. Yeah. Spelljammer is like, <laughs> it's a favorite of mine. But every time I say to someone, "Let's do a spelljammer game," the eyes roll. You either love this setting, or you don't love this setting. <laughs> so There's I want nobody
2: who's like just neutral with it. Everybody has a very yeah. strong feeling about spelljammer. It elicits excitement from some people, and and that fourth edition anger from some people. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that it, and it's been on the fringes for so long, and you kind of almost forget about it, and then every once in a while.
0: I love the set. I love the right. setting. But what I want to know, Chris, is yeah. first of all, like when you sat down and went, "We're gonna put together a game." So, what brought you back one to second edition to find Spelljammer? And then, what is it about Spelljammer that makes you go, "This is what I need to run"?
1: Okay, so I've been playing D and D for thirty-five years, about right now. You know, I, I experience all the everything from advanced. Uh, all the way through, like I, play, I played advanced D&D and then advanced second edition and, and basically I started and advanced. And, you know, so I saw Dark Sun, Ravenloft, Spelljammer, you know, all, all the settings um, at one time or another and Spelljammer was something that I don't think I ever actually played. I'm trying to think. I, I don't think I ever actually played Spelljammer at any point, but I always thought it was awesome. And I think it because like you said, most people didn't, most people that I knew didn't want to play it but I did. So we just never did uh, I, as a group. I, I've been playing for all that time, mostly as a player. And then um, in 2015, I decided to run a game for my wife and some of, our, some of our friends. And I was doing that with my other group where we'd been playing on Thursdays for like 12 years. And it was mostly the same group. And as my friend who had introduced D&D to me when I was a teenager. And when I started my own group, I did like two or three campaigns. One was set on Innistrad, which is the Magic the Gathering plane. And one was uh, Sword Coast. And then at one point I was getting toward the end of, I think it was the Innistrad game. And I said, so, so what do I want to play next? And I'm not sure exactly why, but I started running through my mind of all the different campaign worlds that I've been in. And I thought, ooh, ooh, Spelljammer. I love sci-fi. You know, I love fantasy. I, I love the mix. I loved it back in the 80s, but I never played it. And uh, I just was rolling through my head thinking about different campaign settings. And that one popped up and I just got instantly excited about it. And I thought about all these different sci-fi tropes. You know, I love Next Gen and Star Wars and, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, anything. And I just thought of all these different adventure ideas that I could write. And I said, that's it. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to do Spelljammer.
0: And was it a hard sell for any of your players? Like when you brought it up?
1: No, not really. I mean, the, the people <clears throat> in this game have had virtually no experience with d and D. I I think like John had said that he had tried it once in college or something, but basically they had virtually no experience. And I had I had done the the um, Lost Minds of Fandover, the fifth edition starter, mm-hmm. and I had just done that so they could see what it was like. And like I was always a player. I did do a little bit of DMing, but I really, really wanted to just be a player. I didn't have any interest in being a DM. And then I introduced this group of people who hadn't really played before to the game. And like, it just felt really awesome to be that person who was helping them to get into this hobby, which has been a huge part of my life forever. And then the next thing I knew, I was doing like a Twitch thing with a bunch of new players for, for, for uh, extra life, to try to raise money for Boston, the children's Mm -hmm. hospital. And then every opportunity I had to introduce a new group of players, I was like, just like eager i was i so badly wanted to do it because and then i found this love of dming by basically introducing new players to the game you know whereas when i played with my veteran players and i was a dm like there's just i mean i love my friends very much i'm not trying to diss on them but there was so much you know everybody thinks they know what they're doing they think their way is the right way there's so much arguing and infighting and, and like, for me, DMing in that environment wasn't really all that fun.
0: <laughs> you're preaching, you're preaching to the choir for Jason. We actually did a podcast in the last couple of weeks
2: that is absolutely near and dear to my heart. And it is exactly what you just said <laughs> during COVID. I've had to start gaming with some new groups and I am gamed with a group of brand new players. Like this is their first time. And it is amazing, isn't it? What they bring to the table—the level of energy—and <laughs> actually, there was a point that a bunch of the dungeon masters I interviewed said it was—it is fantastic for older players too because they become super excited about sharing this hobby they love with these people. And it's like, yeah. oh my, it is insane how you have literally—you <laughs> know—like probably three of the five points we made in a podcast only a couple of weeks ago. I 100% agree with everything you're saying. It's
0: fantastic, <laughs> awesome.
2: And it's just nice to share
0: and build. Yeah. It is. it really is new players are great but to bring a new player into dungeons and dragons and go here's spell jammer i think that's that's not something that it, that many people can say that their first experience with dungeons and dragons was a spell ca- spell jammer campaign
1: true true and uh you had asked me what what made me get into it and then you had a second question that i missed that one
0: it's just sort of why spelljammer of all the ones you could have, but you kind of hit on that I like so you I have a you have did. a love of like sci-fi and yeah. so in your spelljammer campaign are we talking about are, like are laser guns available uh what
1: i have done is like i saw in the back of the dungeon master's guide the 5th edition dungeon master's guide that they had rules for like laser guns yes and 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 you know um grenades and all these different kinds of modern technology and futuristic te- uh, technology and i looked at the rules and, you know, what they had there was just way too powerful. If you look at like a laser gun or something or an antimatter rifle, it's like, why would anybody ever have a sword if they could do like 3D6 with this gun at like a range of like 100 feet? And so what I tried to do is I really sort of tried to flex my uh, homebrew muscles by trying to make uh, a laser pistol, a laser rifle, um, a laser sword that would all be balanced so that if you were going through the list of equipment, and you were making a first level character that the futuristic weapons that I made would be balanced with all the rest of them. And so that you would basically, it, there wouldn't be a clear trust. I wouldn't have the whole party with just laser swords because they're not as good as a long sword, depending on what you're trying to do. So i I customized a laser sword, uh, a laser rifle and a laser pistol, and I made up an energy shield. And again, it's not as good as a regular shield, but it's better against laser weapons. So it's kind of like, you know, a balance. So I really just homebrewed, the sci-fi stuff and i don't use like the crystal spheres they just fly out in space there's no crystal spheres you can go to any planet you want you don't have to go through the phlogiston um, which oh so there's don't. there's no
0: like there's no
1: fire uh phlogiston no. accidents that's excellent no no for, for for people that don't know basically the spell jammer is based on like you have planetary systems within these crystal spheres and and the crystal spheres float in the phlogiston, which is this rainbow colored gaseous, kind of very flammable material. And, you know, you can kind of travel from one to the other if it's difficult to do, but I just threw all that out and I've heard other DMs done, have done the same thing. It's basically like the universe is just wide open. You can go to any planet you want. And if you want to say that planet is Greyhawk and that planet is Dragonlance and that planet is Dark Sun, then that's what you do. And so that's what I did. And, I, and I've definitely modified a lot of the rules for Spelljammer. I threw them out the window and uh, some of them, and I just basically did my own sci-fi homebrew um, element of it, but I still kept like, you know, the air envelopes, and the spell jamming helm, and a lot of the things that are that are fundamentally spell jammed, I kept those, and just made some modifications.
0: Excellent. I, I love that, and I think fifth edition is so good for homebrewing on.
2: You almost like homebrew even, almost everything you run, even when it's purchased, right? Like I mean, you always bring an element to it that's yeah. Yeah.
1: My, my, my friend Dan who introduced me to the game when I was like 13, um, he was, he's a really good, he's a really, really good, uh, world builder and an excellent storyteller. And he always had some kind of house rules all the time, every campaign, he always had something. And it always gave that campaign a certain kind of flavor, something that you remember from just that one campaign. And so I, and in, in this current campaign, in Spelljammer, I added action points, which was a uh, fourth edition thing. And um, but I made up my own rules. I, it's not the same as in fourth edition. But I added in there. And for my next campaign, which I'm thinking of actually doing my first ever completely homebrew setting, um, I'm thinking about this idea of having characters have like a knack, and they choose whatever their knack is at first level, and it could be like. Uh, attack rolls, damage rolls, armor class, uh, movement, initiative. But basically they will get a bonus that gradually increases as you go up on level because that is their knack. And if they really want to change it when they go up a level, I'll let them change it sort of like you can do with feats and other things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I love, I love house rules. I love.
0: So when you um, mix in your action points, do you remove inspiration as a mechanic or do you keep that in as well?
1: I I, I keep it in and, and um, it's interesting that you bring that up because Sometimes the house rules that I've brought in have unintentionally been a little bit too powerful. And then I had to kind of try to readjust and having, having action points and having advantage, you know, there is like a certain game balance that was, that was tweaked in a way that I didn't expect. And so I've had to modify a couple of things to try to balance that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've heard of situations where inexperienced DMS give people like these artifacts and then they're kicking, kicking ass on everything. So then the DM, makes their artifacts get blown up, and then the players are all pissed off, and they hate, you know... I mean, that's a lot of, like, very beginner DMs but and beginner players, but uh, a smaller degree of that was happening with me where I was like, hmm, this might be a little bit too powerful.
0: I think it. even experienced DMs that, that begin to... I'm saying this because I've done it. Uh, <laughs> I think even experienced DMs make errors like that because uh, the, you, just, right. you start to experiment with mechanics. Yeah. You start to experiment with some things, and then all of a sudden... And you don't necessarily... You can see the immediate effect isn't going to be too bad, but then a few sessions later, you're like, "Oh, I'm starting to see a larger like I didn't, I never thought of how that interacts yes. with this or yes, that exactly. thing." And then all of a sudden, you're like, "This is broken. This is broken." So I think from purely player
2: perspective, the neat thing about doing the homebrews is it sort of brings back that whole thing about being a new player again. I'm suddenly yeah. playing in a, in a world or in a situation where. I can't recite all the rules. I don't know the, there's something, yes. in, I don't know what this does. I don't know how that interacts. And it, it makes a, a fresh game again. And you're absolutely right. You can plan for everything you want. Players do, I do nothing but think about ways I can utilize something I have in a way maybe somebody didn't see <laughs> That's, from a player's perspective, that's a huge part of the game for me. I love trying to find the, oh my God, I, I guess that works, it oh, was awesome.
0: So, for Spelljammer, mm-hmm. I just love this setting. This is great. First of all, is it GIF? Not GIF. I know GIF Yankee GIFs Rye. There's a hippo race.
1: Yes. I, I, I have you GIF. used them? Yes, I do. I have uh, captain. the captain of the ship that they're on. His name is Braun. Um, he is a GIF. He's, a, he's like an older GIF. Oh. And captain Braun is a GIF. He's the captain of their ship.
0: There's something about the hippo men, and they're sort of the, the artwork that I saw, they were sort of like colonial England. And I just, uh, the Jungle Book, Colonel Hottie, the elephant, I'm like, (laughs) I want all my gift to be like him. Like, that's that's how I pictured him, just running this sort of militarized uh, hippo brigade. And I was like, this is fantastic. And and I'm I'm sure, I'm saying it's fantastic. I'm sure there's players out there that go, like, if I meet a group of hippo men, I'm done. (laughs) Like, I'm done with this game.
1: Yeah, I was looking through the. I have the second. I have the second edition PDFs, and I was looking through all the races, and I basically told everybody, you can play whatever race that you want because this is, you know, it's space. I mean, you can be anywhere, any time, and yeah. and the game is centered on the Rock of Brawl, which is which is like the this center point for the whole Spelljammer campaign. Um, it gives you a place um, where it's sort of like a home base for the for the players, and so I I described how there's mind flayers and beholders and there's GIF, and there's Gith, like you said, there is a (laughs) distinction for people that don't know. Um, And, you know, there's, there's Taboxi, which are the the cat people. And um, I really like Thracrine. So, so they're like an insectoid race. And so I included them and I basically made up like, like a a list of crewmen um, or or crew persons. And they had as many different races on it as I could think of, because I wanted to have them all be part of the crew. And I tried to take up different voices for some of them, although I'm not going too crazy with all the, all the voices, but I try to take up a personality and a little bit of a voice for each one of them. And so they have the players and they have the captain and the crew who are all NPCs. And uh, it's, it's definitely been a lot of fun to kind of have the interaction with the people on the crew and whatnot. And, and definitely there is a gift as the captain.
0: Do you utilize the, do you, have you come up with any sort of homebrew for ship-to-ship
1: combat? So far, no. Okay. I, I've I've thought about it, and I said to myself, hmm, that would be really fun. And then I thought, hmm, that's way too much work for what I want to do right now.
0: <laughs> can I Can I make... I'll make a suggestion here. Yeah. If you don't have it yet, Ghosts of Saltmarsh has ship stat blocks. It's just like a monster stat block for the ship.
1: Actually, mm-hmm. I, I took... I think I took the stats for the ship from that.
0: Yeah, I think that ah. would be...
1: I think that would be a great way to do it.
0: The two things that stand out for for me from Spelljammer were the ship to ship combat, and there was a sort of a mass combat calculator. I actually, long after I stopped playing Spelljammer, I still referred back to
1: their mass combat rules for some of my games. Yeah, they have they have the mass combat rules um, even in the back of the Fifth Edition Dungeon Master's Guide for for crowds, mm-hmm. for groups, mm-hmm. and I, I think I did pull my ship stats from Ghost of Salt Marsh and you know, the ship has ballista and it has catapult on it and they've used it against things, against creatures that were flying toward the ship, but I haven't had to actually ship the ship yet because I want to do it in a way that is very uh, fantastic. And I don't want them to be just like throwing rocks from one ship to another or shooting giant arrows from one ship to the other. I want it to be something more spectacular than that. So I haven't really pulled the trigger on it and put the work into it just yet because I, I just, I want to make it really cool. And you know, life life is making it a little bit difficult sometimes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um,
1: but but I do want to do a ship to ship battle at some point with them, and I want to make it really exciting. And I'm not going to pull the trigger until I really feel like it's going to be good. So I've got a million other science fiction tropes that I can use. What's the, the level
0: of the party in that game?
1: Right now, the party is, uh, honey, you're seventh level, right? Seventh. Seventh uh, level. Yeah. Seven? Uh, my lo- my lovely wife and my baby are behind me. Uh, Baby's <laughs> getting a change. Um, uh, Kate is who's a player in the game. Uh, They just hit seventh level as well. And, and I was actually, I I jumped all over the place with the leveling at first because I wanted them to experience XP because I hadn't done XP in the first like three or four campaigns that we had had with them starting in 2015. I wanted them to have XP. they were using the point by system. And I said, I want you guys to roll abilities. I want you guys to have the experience that I had. I want you to have to roll your abilities. I want you to get XP. I want you to feel what that is, is like. So we, we did all that and we were playing for a while. And then I was like, okay, I'm sick and tired of calculating XP. <laughs> so then so then I just started basically going to like a three, a three adventure system where there will be a level for three adventures and then go to the next level and then three adventures. And prior to that, in the years starting from 2015 to like 2019, I had done one level every adventure. And that was because me as myself, like our games would always collapse so much sooner than i wanted over a period of 30 35 years of playing i never got to see 20th level and i was so annoyed that i never got to see 20th level so for the first three campaigns they were going up a over every adventure and they got to 20th and played there for like three or four adventures before we switched and i was like i want you guys to be able to see the entire arc mm-hmm. um, but that wound up creating problems because the advancement was so fast that people couldn't really keep up
0: sure. and
1: and and i, and I took that I took that sort of feedback from my players and I said, okay, well, why don't, why don't I do XP next time? And then I just started to get bored with XP and I said, okay, how about we have a compromise between XP and leveling every adventure? And so I started to do the three the three, the three, three adventure leveling. Campaign.
0: Do you find that your Spelljammer campaign gives you the opportunity to access monsters that wouldn't normally be accessed in a and d campaign? Because when I started DMing it, Mindflare, Notloids, yeah. Beholder, Orb, Ships, And even the Neogai, these are monsters that in a regular campaign, you don't see for quite some time. But in Spelljammer, you have an opportunity to just kind of go, there's a Beholder ship in port and they're trading. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I used Neogi in the very first adventure. They, 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 They got off their ships, their transport ships, and they went up and I described sort of like the way the Rock of Brawl looked and, you know, it was a busy city full of all these different races. And then there was a bunch of Niyogi that cut off one of the ships behind them and they tried basically this really stupid invasion plan (laughs) and, 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 and they got their asses kicked by, by a bunch of the people that were just on the street, as well as the party, everybody started pulling out laser guns and laser swords. And and they just attacked this, this uh, ill-fated group of Niyogi, (laughs) but, but I just, I used them right away in the first adventure and I'm using one of the characters from the book, which is a, a beholder barkeep named Luigi. (laughs) <laughs> and so so right in the first adventure, I, I think it was the first adventure, but very early on they met they met Luigi, the the beholder bartender at the Laughing Beholder Tavern and he's been a character and I, and I love role playing him. He's a lot of fun and in the last adventure or the one before last he even got to kick some ass using his eye stocks because there was another there was another episode that I had with the Niyogi, but this time they came with a bigger force and in the middle of this giant invasion Luigi comes out of 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 the of the bar that hasn't read the listening episode, and he comes out like shooting his eye stalks like all over the place and just like wiping out Niyogi. you know, so yeah, I love using the the monsters, the unique monsters t- to uh spelljammer, and
0: you know someone listening is going to say, "I can put a beholder in my bar if I want to well, yeah, <laughs> you can, but I feel like spelljammer goes, uh here's the stereotype, but we're gonna turn it a bit, and you're yes. like. So, you know, yep. mind flares are more common out in space. So, so yep. here's a really spooky, scary uh, monster that you maybe don't <laughs> get to see that much. And all of a sudden, now here it is. And you can run into the nautloid fleets a lot. Uh, yeah. And here's the beholders. And, and these are normally monsters that you only like, oh, if we ever fight one of those. And, <laughs> and now here you go. Here <laughs> they are.
1: Yeah, there's an Illithid, there's a mind flare embassy on the rock. You know, so they're so illithids are like walking around, you know, mind flares. And normally you're like, oh, my God, that thing's going to eat my brain, <laughs> you know, or the, or the beholder is going to turn me to stone. But they all exist on the Rock of brawl, And it's cool. Nobody wants to, you know, uh, piss off, you know, uh, Prince Andrew, the guy who's running the rock. They want to have their trade sanctions. They want to be able to trade with other races and, and have a place to talk about wars and or whatever they want to talk about. And so everybody just kind of keeps the peace. And it's really it's really fun. Jason, did you have something
2: to? Because when you fall into a lot of sort of the standard games that we've played over the years, it really is a rotating list of about twelve monsters, right? That (laughs) seem to come up for eighty percent of the encounters. And I think that's the one neat thing about sort of when you get into some of the different um, the different campaign settings and stuff is it's it's nice to mix it up. It goes back to being sort of a new player. Like it isn't just goblins, kobolds, skeletons, and orcs. Like we are going to see something that was in the back pages of that book the pages were still crisp because you never needed to use it right yeah all of a sudden uh it there's so much content out there that maybe doesn't see the play it could pull, or the play it deserves yeah and, uh, i think these these sort of campaign settings allow a dungeon master to really sort of draw on all that fantastic stuff that's just sitting there waiting to be used
1: right that that's that's another reason why i wanted to do the spell Jammer campaign or is because there's so much there that never gets used and i'm like i'm going to try to use as much of this as possible until i get <laughs> like sick of it and just use all of it as much as i can and get it worked in there and th- there's just so much stuff that i can do i'm, I'm excited to see where the campaign goes gith- i have no idea how long it's going to last but we'll see
0: gith yankee are a, fa- yeah. a favorite of mine
1: yeah the gif gith- the gith- but yankee- they never
0: work own. their way into my Ever. campaigns no. <laughs> but a Spelljammer campaign, you're going to find a gift Yankee pirate. You're go- like, they're going to be there. I'm going yep. to make sure they're in there because this is my opportunity. And I think, you know, we were going to talk about some other 2nd Edition settings. We haven't really gotten to them. But yeah, yeah, I, think like I think Spelljammer came out of the fact that 2nd Edition kind of flooded the market with a lot of different settings. And Spelljammer was 2nd Edition's way of saying they can all be connected yes exactly and from there like i don't know what it was about second edition but that was
1: i was would say magi- a magical time <laughs>
0: i think it was i think it, i think it, i think that's one of the reasons that fifth i like so much is because it i feel it has a lot of connections to second and i think second edition was a bit of a golden age it was very mm-hmm. easy to introduce players to
1: second edition D D, in my opinion so you guys had mentioned, you'd mentioned the, the Lankmar setting Yes. and I, I had never heard of it. Like I was surprised. I thought, I thought like, you know, I'm not like a expert on D&D, um, but I know a lot about it. And when you had said that, I'm like, I have no idea what that is. So I had to go look it up. So I'm really excited to hear about that.
2: Lankmar for me really, and I'm a, a primarily first edition player. I quit playing probably at home. I can remember some of my friends buying the second edition of books, at that point in time, I was turning 19. I'm not going to get into the details, but at 19, things change in your life, and you suddenly spend a little less time gaming with your friends.
1: Understood. <laughs>
2: okay, there we go.
0: Okay, you know what? Then you're a unicorn, because most of us who were playing D&D were like, that other portion of the life you're talking about, not so easily accessed for the guy playing first edition D&D. <laughs> you
2: poor man. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked This is a totally different book. Either way. For me, Lankmar was home. It really was. It was. We had played a lot of First Edition, and the and in First Edition, you you had your standard dungeon crawls. Greyhawk came out. There was these mass wilderness things. You we played the heck out of them. You know, you played every weekend, all weekend, and then all of us and we were reading fantasy, right? Fantasy novels were coming out. Things were starting to generate and appendix, and you start looking back to some stuff
0: and you, you discover Fritz Leiber. Okay, wait a minute. And, Do we know what Appendix N is? Because Chris might not know. I didn't know. Oh, no. So in the back of the original Dungeon Master's
2: Guide, there was a series of appendices. One of them was Appendix N, which listed a series of science fiction and fantasy novels that Gax drew inspiration from okay. in creating. And so he made a list of books like, hey, here's a bunch of books I read that really influenced me. If you really want to know about D&D? Here, here's a list of, I want to say, might have been 50 or more books. Awesome. Um, like these are, and so we started stumbling across, you know, I discovered Lovecraft. I discovered, um, you know, Tolkien, all the standards. And then Fritz Lieber was, in terms of being a young teenage boy, Baffer and the Grey Mouser, there's, they're cooler, there's swagger. and it, it was the first time where you had, we had spent all this time dungeon delving and all of a sudden a campaign setting comes out and it is a city. And it is not the map in Lankmar alone is <laughs> the most fascinating thing. It is a full-size tabletop map, individually hand-drawn, individual buildings, alleys, courtyards, a massive urban setting, mm-hmm. in a very low fantasy game, very little magic, very little magic items, strictly human races, okay.
0: um, lots of political intrigue, lots of sort so. Yeah, there there's is no, no there's no
1: elves. There's no dwarves. Dwarves no. and
0: elves are things that live out on the edges of mankind. Oh, okay, gotcha. They're not optional as a player race. Neither
2: really were. They had the same sort of a very similar corruption system. If you wanted to play a magic user, at, at certain levels you just started rolling deformities and defects. Like <laughs> drawing upon these dark powers, it started corrupting your body.
0: I think I think the actual rules, because you know I'm a rules lawyer. Uh, the actual rules for Lankmar said that wizards could not go past fifth level. Really? I, Fourth yeah. level and higher spells were in the game, but it required certain sacrifices on behalf of the wizard to gain that knowledge. We had talked about this in the movie thing too, sort of Billy um, Castile and the mouse.
2: The, and then you get Taffer die on the characters, the gray mouser. So he's taking it even a step further. He's He's a rogue. He studied a bit as a magician. He's got a couple of spells up his sleeve. And then they take the whole sort of seedy underworld of the city and it's, been, it's fighting between sort of the, the thieves' guild, the assassins' guild, and various uh, churches. And it becomes sort of a political setting. It was a really refreshing change. It was a different type of story when module after module and setting after setting was you know, caves of chaos or a take on that. I'm not sure why it sticks with me, or even today it still resonates with me. Um, I've recently started playing any first edition campaign again that's very much has this feel to it, and you're like, this is such a great feeling Because it wasn't even just the low magic. It's like, well, you're in a city. like You can't wear a suit of armor in a city. If you're wearing a suit of armor in a city, the constable is going to pull you over because you're obviously up to no good. There's no reason for somebody to have a weapon or a suit of armor in a city. Everything was very subterfuge. Like There was... <laughs> But uh, you would, you
0: may have to bribe some people
2: occasionally <laughs> to have a sword. I think it it, would...
0: if you know if you want to know if you're right for a Lankmar game, I think Fritz Lieber, who created the world, not not anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons, he was a pulp sword and wizardry author, mm-hmm. and I stumbled into him because um, I, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan, and Neil Gaiman on an interview or something. He was talking to someone. He began to talk about Fritz Lieber and his love of Mister Lieber's writing. So I just I went and checked it out. And uh, very short stories because it's pulp fiction and all about Fafford and the Gray Mauser. And a, a and
2: a rogue adventuring through this. They're even more city. than
0: that though. Like Faff great the Gray Mauser does a stint as a magic user's apprentice. And becomes a rogue, and if and actually they were statted, the two characters were statted out in the first edition Legend and Lore, uh, or Deities and Demigods rather, Legend Lore. Yep. Uh, became yeah, and they had multiple levels in multiple classes. Yes. So even though you don't have um, you don't have dwarves, elves, demi humans in that setting, the human characters were not were supposed to be sort of jack of all trades. Like, they had a couple levels in Wizard. They had a couple levels in Rogue. They had a couple levels in Fighter. They maybe had a couple levels in Ranger. Like, they were all over the place.
2: Stafford was a level 15 Ranger, a 5th level Bard, and a 5th level Thief. You have that there? have it right here. The
0: Green yeah. was a 10th level Fighter, a 15th level Thief, nice. and a 5th level Magic User. <laughs> Not
1: Multiclassing, bad, Multiclassing, eh? man. Multiclassing.
0: Oh, look at you. That's right out of that book. That's right out of that book. <laughs> uh and also and the, is, the yeah and then that, the, the new and uh,
2: god of the multi was the multi-class. yeah then which was really it was a there was a very small pantheon um mm. and they were really involved with everyday life like the gods might ask you to do something for them right there was sort of that
0: you the know, city, know the city the lankmar had these gods that were these undead beings that lived under the city and they had their hands in all the thieves guilds like if you love if you want a campaign that's in a city with lots of guilds and lots of competition between the guilds and then on top of that there's this under city that lurks below where the gods of lankmar sort of lurk these undead there's actually a great piece of artwork with their, it looks like they're liches there's like four or five of them it's an old school piece of artwork it, it's actually a depiction of the the gods of lankmar and uh, you yeah. know what else? Just hit me? Uh, the map that, that you, you were talking about the There's gorgeous map, map. It it had bl- br- but it had br- blank spaces in it, where the DM had so geomorphs is- he could plug in. And the idea <laughs> so like was they should change block, because
2: you would have to venture into the heart of that city block to find out what like, maybe that's was right. a block.: Maybe there was a, a shrine and a well, right? There was sort but of it block. wasn't
0: necessarily the same when you came back because the idea is the city's constantly changing and evolving.
1: Oh, yeah. really? That, yeah. That's cool.
0: That, like, that buildings is... are being torn down or fires happen. or So, so then you plug, plug in a fire different fire. geomorph the next time it's they're there. I'm probably going to try and post on Instagram, but it's
2: 100% was a huge selling feature for us because you could be looking at a map just like a dungeon map and go, okay, we're going to take the alley on the right, and that's going to take us to that courtyard, and it showed the levels of the buildings. Well, we can access the first story of that building to the roof. From there, we can hack into the alley on the back side so it was a very rogue driven campaign and i think a lot of it my fondness falls on the dungeon master who ran it in that he ran a series of campaigns where it's like there's um the, the thieves guild versus the assassin's guild fighting for dominance in the city and he's like okay you remember the thieves guild and
0: but magic um, is very low too right like if is, some if, if someone shows up with, with a glowing, glowing sword out, or
2: fight somebody and they would pull a sword and it would be glowing you would be like this is one of the most powerful people in the city. Like, we should probably run. Nobody owns a plus one sword. And it was a neat thing that, and we talked about this with DM, uh, with Judge Bryan and Grognards, is there was no such thing as, it wasn't just a plus one sword. It was Night Whisper, the plus one sword. Or it was, you know, Heartseeker, the plus one bow. There was never just, it wasn't just a, a were-rat or a lich. It was, you know, everybody was named. There was yeah, no it was named, yeah. Know it, right, because the fantastic was so rare it sort of it became elevated in status even things that sort of would have just been you know brushed off as mobs i, I could see the
1: appeal of it. that if you were playing the game and and there was so it was so low magic and then when something would come along it was named or somebody had a, a unique power they were named it was something very special and then you just fight when you receive that and you're like this is my sword like i am who's you know, the Saxony,
0: who's the big wiz- the who's guy. the big wizard I want to say something like Ningobal of the Eleven Eyes or something. And he's like a 10th level wizard, but he's been so mutated by magic. He now has all his, he has like 10 eyes on an ice on eye stalks and he keeps a hood up over his head. Like <laughs> it's really creative stuff. And if you're
2: it's definitely worth reading. The Fritz Lieber stuff is really light, easy to read. Mm-hmm. There's no fluff. It's action packed. Like it's, it's two young adventurers in a big city and they adventure, they're adventure out of the city. Part of the, I was like super excited when we started talking about this because I'm like, we're really talking about three very different campaign settings. I mean, you're talking, when you think of Spelljammer, Dragonlance, and, and, and for me, Langmark, those are three absolute ends of the spectrum. Those have been pushed as far as part as possible. One is <laughs> you know, a mass market high fantasy setting. Another one is a it's really wonderful, wonky sort of sci-fi All encompassing setting, and then sort of just an old school, low magic sort of movie setting.
0: This is a good tie in to Spelljammer, though. Appendix N, which you mentioned, Appendix N, which you mentioned that Gary Gygax pulled from, a lot of that early swords and sorcery type of uh, fiction had science fiction mixed in. Like, there were always portals to other worlds. We're not talking about, like, other planes. Like, it's not a portal to hell. It's a portal to another world on the other side of the universe. Finding, like, strange equipment from other worlds. uh, How does it operate? How does it work? Again... Spelljammer can just pull, like pull all that stuff and that's coming from original uh, sources. What was the adventure that I think did Gygax, write... Expedition to mm-hmm. the Berry Peaks. Is it is a crashed spacecraft. Yes. There's laser guns Spelljam and everything in it. Yeah, yeah it's yep. it's totally going to where Spelljammer eventually gets in of in the earliest forms of Dungeons and Dragons. Back when he was developing Dungeons and Dragons, the prevalence of fantasy fiction compared
2: to science fiction fiction there was there was a severe imbalance i mean you had to draw from the sources you had and science fiction was hot i mean it started in the 50s it started hard i mean it a lot more than sort of uh, the classic fantasy genre to be able to look at that and sort of just morph it or modify it and um and bring it into a fantasy world was it was a real talent for sure but i think you work with the resources you had and that was probably a predominant
0: number of the sources
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, Jeremy, do you wanna? Would you want to talk about what was your campaign setting? My my
0: campaign setting is You're Dragonlance. Daddy, aren't you? My, it's, my, it, it's Dragonlance and it's what? This was the big one. They, I mean, they had a lot resting on this. This was huge. Well, it's the first set of novels that that Dun- TSR puts out. I think yeah. I could be wrong, but
2: uh, did they do Gorda Greyhawk?
0: Yeah, but I don't know if that came before or after Hickman and Weiss started writing. The original Dragonlance series.
1: When did the Dark Elf trilogy come out? That was that Forgotten Realms.
0: Uh, that's Forgotten Dark, Realms. Dark Elf trilogy. Uh, do you mean? Are you talking Crystal Shard and all that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that's well after that's well okay. after Dragonlance. Uh,
2: Dragonlance. Has everybody here read the Dragonlance novels?
0: I have not. I obviously have, but.
2: Can I say something? The I want to say the first their first two trilogies, the first six books. Yeah absolutely um you gotta read absolutely
0: if you get a chance fantastic. you don't even have to go the first six the first three the time of the twins the i know twins everybody trilogy. likes the twins trilogy but i'm 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 still stuck in the first trilogy i like the first trilogy the war of the lands just, just
2: beautiful beautiful dungeons and Dragons stuff and then the second one sort of that sort of i've advanced beyond just the, the thrill of the adventure that the interpersonal story and the uh uh, the, I, either way, I'm not going to go spoil anything. Dragon, <laughs> the first six books, probably awesome. six of the best sort of fantasy novels I had read at that age in my life. I'm not sure. I haven't reread them. I'm not sure how they hold up
1: now. So, what is the basic like premise behind the Dragon Man's campaign set? Okay, so
0: I, I'll I'll tell you what my my draw. Mm-hmm. to the to dragon lance oh, because yeah. I, I didn't even know what dragon was about when i first found it was the art didn't spectacular larry elmore,
1: didn't larry elmore do a bunch of art for that
0: larry elmore did do a bunch of art i think mm-hmm. larry elmore was the primary guy that was given dragon as his was, art project
1: yeah i I met him at a convention i got him to sign my did you? screen my advanced second my advanced dragon second mission oh that's screen i got him to sign it <laughs>
0: So Lance, the artwork grabbed me and I'm bad with names, but Tracy, Laura and Tracy Hickman worked on it mm-hmm. and Laura and, uh, specifically Tracy Hickman, uh, is also responsible for Ravenloft and Ravenloft I'm was in front of me. <laughs> a favorite module of mine. So oh, awesome. here, here I've got these, these, uh, and, and, I got hooked on Dragonlance kind of like Jason did with his Lankmar in first edition. So my love with Dragonlance starts in first edition when they start putting out these modules that retrace the novels. And it ends up being like a 14 15 What what, what, what are your point uh, you point? your figure at me for?
2: Have you read the novels before you or there was I had not mo- I hadn't.
0: You... I hadn't. I was really? dr- I was drawn so I'm in my gaming I'm in my okay. gaming store. I'm in my gaming store. And I see the cover for Dragons of Despair. And I'm going to see if I can find it here quick for you while I talk. So I see the cover of Dragons of Despair. And I'm like, I need to run this module. This is... I don't know what this is. Uh, I don't know what Dragonlance is. So I take Dragonlance home. And now I'll sort of tell you... So, so here's what Dragonlance is for someone who's never played. The Dragonlance stories start off... And I'm going to give you the tales from, for War of the Lance. Because that's where... There's so many ages you can play here. But in War of the Lance, there are no clerics. Cool. This, in particular, piece I love. So, (laughs) War of the Lance starts... There's no clerics. And the story is that your party, the first module, your party has... uh, They're all about between 3rd and 5th level now, and your party has gone out all over the world trying to find signs of true healing magic. They can't find any. They all come back and come back to their hometown, and they uh, they share their stories of the world that they found. And while they're there, the war kicks off, and they find true cleric magic. From there, the story just sort of unravels, and it, and it turns into a massive saga. And if you run the modules, they're very exciting. I've never run them all fully, but the first sort of five modules I have run numerous times with friends... And I think that's where the bit of nostalgia comes from me is I can remember sitting around friends' houses doing weekend long marathons, staying up to ridiculous hours in the morning, and we were playing these Dragonlance adventures. And and the artwork was fantastic. So everybody at the table got to see that 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 gorgeous stuff that Larry Elmore put out, and mm-hmm. it gave us all a frame of reference. And yeah. Dragons play a very prominent role. For a game called Dungeons & Dragons, not many people's adventures actually have dragons in them anymore. (laughs) I I mean, if you're a DM and you've run a a couple campaigns, really think, how many times have I had a dragon in there? There's a dragon in every... that's That's another thing. Dragons have disappeared from the world and all of a sudden they all come back. Uh, they took okay. Tiamat and they changed her into an evil dragon goddess named Takisis. And oh
1: Techis, that sounds familiar.
0: Yes, so <laughs> Tekisis is Dragonlance's Tiamat. Uh in the Dragonlance world, gold and silver are nothing. You collect steel. Uh your coins are steel coins, because steel can be made into weapons, and you're you know, during this is during a war. And uh what was the
1: level of magic like was it high? Ridiculously lower, lower? high so
0: it's ridiculously high but it has it has a, the magic in dragon lance has has its own set of rules so there are three moons each moon is a god or goddess of magic lawful neutrality and evil a good good maybe not lawful a good neutrality and evil sure and then depending on where the moons are in the sky affects your spell casting in the early editions of, of Dragonlance. As well, when you reach the ability to cast, I want to say, third level spells, you have to go to the Towers of High Sorcery to do your testing. And then you are, just like, just like in uh, Harry Potter, you are given, you're either a black-robed evil wizard, a red-robed <laughs> neutral wizard, or a white-robed good wizard and if you do not go to the towers of high sorcery and continue to practice magic you know they the understanding is that magic is so powerful that you become what what they call a renegade wizard and uh renegade wizards have to be hunted down by the towers of high sorcery wizard to be brought to justice elves play a big role dwarves play an interesting role uh they they are very much like the dwarves that you know, Tolkien introduces us to with a little bit of a twist. There's a couple sub-races of dwarves. Gully dwarves are everyone's favorite from Dragonlance because there's these sort of... Gully dwarves can't count above two, so it doesn't matter what they're dealing with. They can't count above two. <laughs> Kender? Is that what you said?
2: Uh, the Kender. I think it was that was the introduction of the Kender,
1: right? Exactly. That was like a halfling kind of, right?
0: There is no halflings. There are only Kender. Okay, and yeah, Kender yeah. is like... A halfling dialed up to eleven.
1: <laughs>
0: you all kender borrow things. <laughs> all and the other thing about kender are they—they they cannot feel fear. They just don't understand what that is. So game mechanically, you are never frightened. You are never afraid of anything. Uh, just so, just imagine a curious. Need to pickpocket everything, not afraid of anything. Like, oh, my friends are over there. Well, they won't. They won't mind if I just sneak off over here and check this out. Like the, the ki- and Tasselhoff Burfoot is the sort of the tender of the party for the for the Fellowship of the Lands.
2: I and I think that's the important part about the novel. Thinking, you know, it really covers all the archetypes, right? Like every character mm-hmm. trope that you're going to see in mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons is a member of this party right you you have the knight who's you know sworn to a code you have you know you have the 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 steadfast old old dwarf you know and and his family and his fatherly view you have the mischievous um sort of rogue and then you get in some neat stuff you get the 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 half i love how they did the half elf. this sort of i'm torn you know i'm am i human am i elf like
0: what society do i fit into and there are the dreaded draconians, which are sort of the earliest forms oh, of yeah. dragonborn. Draconians. And every draconian, they die
1: in, yeah, in some interesting way. They That's right. They, in some interesting way. Exactly.
0: Every draconian has some sort of death rattle. It doesn't go out just dead. <laughs> it has something where like it turns to stone, and your weapons stick in it. They turn to a pool of acid. They explode. Yeah. Explode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the this the story of uh, Dragonlance it came after for me. It was the artwork and the modules having so much. Like when you open these modules up, the maps were incredible. I mean, just dragons. Imagine you're, you know, everybody wants a hero that rides a dragon. Everybody wants a hero <laughs> that that like yeah. the drag. The dragon is their friend. Or uh, th- there's just so much there that's like sort of quintessential Dungeons and Dragons for me. That uh, mm-hmm. that that uh, Dragonlance. I will say though that. The downfall here is that I'm intimidated to run Dragonlance now because you're messing with canon and <laughs> I'm like I'm like do I want to step in there and mix that up? Sometimes and sometimes canon can be in, intimidating for I didn't run Forgotten Realms for the longest time because I hadn't read a lot of Forgotten Realms and I I knew my players had read Forgotten Realms stuff and I was like They're going to call me on something like, hey, that's not (laughs) how it works here. Uh, It's the same reason that I have a hard time jamming Star Wars role-playing games. It's because I I love Star Wars, but, you know, someone out there is always a bigger expert than you. And there's going to be a piece of canon that you trip up on (laughs) and they're going to call you on it. And then you're, you know, it's fine to say, well, it's your world and you do what you like. But there's still a piece of you that goes, yeah, but I really wanted it to be on the mark and yeah so i mean and i think Dragonlance uh, of the three campaign settings we're talking about i think it's the most maybe it's the most maybe stereotypical it 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 certainly has a homebrew feel where like okay there's no halflings there's kender, and uh you know there's no even the paladin class is not available there's uh, a knight Mm -hmm. class the knights of salamnia and they have all different orders that you can choose to join as well but but i feel like it's it's as sort of it's vanilla D turned up and it's uh it's probably the furthest from lankmar i mean high magic in Dragonlance is time traveling and and all all kinds of stuff going on whereas lankmar is like if you cast that magic missile spell you might grow a third eye so be careful <laughs> and then spell jammer i mean spell jammer the the the, it's limitless the ends of uh, what you can do with Spelljammer. jammer i think that's one of the great things about spell jammer
1: yeah yeah definitely it's one of the reasons why i'm running it i'm very excited about that and you know this has been a a great discussion you know and i'm really excited because i hadn't, didn't know anything about Lankmar at all <laughs> mm-hmm. and um and i and you brought back a lot of things that i remember from Dragonlands too uh, like the draconians that 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 was mm-hmm. something that was burned into my brain when you brought it up. I was like, oh my God, I remember hitting, fighting those things. <laughs> so is, uh, is there anything else you guys uh, want to talk about real quick? I mean, we've done about a little over an hour, I think here. We've had a really good discussion. This has been uh, an awesome cross promotion. Again, I did this with like one other group uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun, but we didn't go in depth as much as we did here. So, I mean, I'm really excited that you guys wanted to come and do this. Maybe we can do it again in the future. I mean, this has been, this has been a, a huge huge pleasure for me so i hope you guys have had fun
2: yeah no i have jay and we totally get sidetracked horrible
1: we're like no, that, that's okay
2: getting sidetracked <laughs> we're like did we just cover three topics i think we covered three topics
1: <laughs> we did uh, old man rolling dice um check them out on twitch and also um wherever you look at your podcasts and we are nights of roleplay. And guys, I mean this was great. I, I love meeting you guys. We're definitely kindred spirits. It's great to talk to people in Canada. This is a very unique experience. A lot of fun.
0: We're just gonna give a quick shout out tonight to roleplay as well. Uh, we, we've obviously enjoyed uh, this immensely. I can see from the smile on Jason's face. Nights of Roleplay, I, I think we should probably do this again. Sounds good. We should probably Sounds do good. this again. I, I would love to do that. And maybe if the opportunity ever presents itself, maybe we could do like a mixer where we get half an old men rolling dice crew and half a knights of roll. We could do a one shot maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. I would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great.
0: That, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll like awesome. cross this border
1: again with role playing. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great guys. Well, thanks for having us. All right, thank you for having me as well. It was great to do the cross promotion, you guys. You guys are awesome.
0: And we always sign off with good night, Dick. We can't oh, help yeah. it. Say it, Jake.
1: Say it does, it. does that mean
0: something? No, it doesn't. It, I don't know why. I, we, the <laughs> first time we ever did a podcast, I think I was nervous. I didn't know how to end it, and I think I said good night, Dick. Was there an old talk show that ended on good night, Dick? I don't know. I
2: think it's just a level of potty humor you have. I really, I really of <laughs> in your inner thirteen-year-old. Good night, Dick. Um,